Either Schwitzer? Oh, yeah, it's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five, four... We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and as always, unless he's holidaying overseas, which he's done twice this year, is Paul Rickard. Paul, thanks for joining us on the show. Glad I could be here, Peter. I know I'm not holidaying and uh, great to be with our listeners. You have done two holidays this year, haven't you? Uh... Someone's phone was on. The holiday guy had his phone on. Can we start that again? No, we can't. No, we keep rolling on. We we, we keep the mistake Look, in I there don't... so people realise that you're an imperfect broadcaster. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think I've done two holidays. I did one. I know that much. But anyhow, we, we are where we are. We're turning our phones off. So let's rock and roll, Pete. Okay, well done. All right, so on today's show, we want to do something... In a sense, unusual. You and I are going to sort of debate or agree on where we think stocks are going to go in 2020. It's been a great year, which I'm sure you'll give us the numbers for in a minute, Paul. Then we're going to talk to the founder of Media Week, founder and editor of Media Week, James Manning. What's going on in the media uh, and are there any companies out there worth investing in? You and I will probably talk about that at the end of the interview. And then Steve Cox, who's the CEO of a company that really, really loves Christmas, and that is Dimmix. That's when people like you and me, who have no idea about Christmas presents, rush into a bookshop to get some sort of present to show that we're, we're not bad present givers at Christmas and time. And guess where I'll be going between now and <laughs> the 24th of December or the 23rd of December? Yeah, me too. Dimmix. <laughs> Trying to pick the book that shows that we really care about the people we love. Well, that's the show for today. Without any further ado, let's actually kick off on the very important subject of stocks, Paul, for 2020. What, what's, what's your big picture view? Let's, let's do it. Did I interrupt your Yeah, I did because I, I, I want you to tell us what actually happened. You remember the numbers. Yep. 2019 was a good year. 2019 has been a fantastic year, Peter, for uh, the Australian share market and, yep. and for that matter, most overseas markets. Mm. Look, to the end of uh, November, and this has continued a little bit in December, in price terms, our market's up about uh, 21%, but adding dividends, uh, it's over 26%. Now, that's a, that's a pretty good return uh, <laughs> in anyone's language. So that's, that's a market as a whole, but some stocks and some sectors have done way better, and of course, some haven't. But uh, 2019 is going to go down as a great year for stocks. Yeah, and of course, we should rem- remind people that the second half of 2018 was a really scary time and a lot of people were predicting that things were going to get really, really bad. What two big things turned it all around, Paul? Well, I, don't, I, I can think of one, but I, I'll, I'll, I'm trying to think of the second, oh, the second talk, one. But, but uh, the first one actually came back in December last year. Mm. I think it was the 20th of December from memory. Very close to I, Christmas. It's, it's easy to go back and find the date. I don't mm. think I actually quite twigged it at the time. Yeah. But that's when the uh, U.S. Federal uh, Reserve Governor started using the word started using the word patience. Exactly. When it comes to uh, interest rate increases, now, you remember at the time the market was actually expecting 
the US Federal Reserve to increase interest rates three times yeah. in 2019. And that's why the market was a bit scared. Yeah, and what they did, and that's why we had the big sell-off in, in November mm. uh, and early part of December last year. And what, of course, they've ended up doing is, is actually cutting interest rates by mm. three times. And we, we should remind people, before the Federal Reserve Bank boss, Jerome Powell, decided to use the word patience, which was, an, it was like a euphemism for we're not going to raise interest rates, mm. He's, he probably had spent a couple of months with his head in a headlock from the president of the USA, <laughs> Donald he was, Trump. He was, he was getting assailed by President T <laughs> on Twitter and everything else. Uh, he's been told how useless he was and uh, how he's got it wrong. I've never seen I've, I've never <laughs> seen a president insult a f- – well, in public. I reckon plenty of presidents have probably got stuck into uh, central bank bosses in the past, but never in public the way Donald Trump did. Yeah, it. I'm sure a lot has happened behind closed doors mm. and in meetings, but not uh, not as publicly. And he, he stood up to that for a while. <laughs> he seemed to uh, roll on, but eventually, look, I'm sure there are other reasons. He didn't capitulate. He wouldn't say that, but uh, I think that was the that was the biggest single drive of the mm. U.S. stock market. Mm. And if you look at uh, 2019 for our market. That's what we just followed yeah. to many. Followed the leader. Followed the leader. Yeah. But, Paul, then in early January, then Donald Trump started saying, hey, we're making progress here on trade and they're expecting a deal to be signed on March 27. Why March 27? Do I remember that date? Well, it's my birthday. And I th- thought Donald was delivering for Pete Switzer, you know, the supreme optimist when it comes to stocks. And in a sense, he, does, he has because this uh, year – uh, of a 26% rise is really good for the so-called permeable, which some people call me. I'm not a permeable. One day I will t- uh, turn and become negative. But certainly uh, Donald Trump and Jerome Powell, they're getting Christmas cards from Peace Witzer this year. Mm. There's actually a third factor. It's hard to actually translate into the returns. This, of course, is a local factor, Peter. We we all went into May 18 expecting to have a, a the, the 31st Australian Prime Minister mm. to be one B Shorten. Mm. We didn't end up with the 31st Australian the, Prime Minister. Yeah. We ended, we've still got our 30th, uh, as in SCOMO. Yeah. And ended up being BS. <laughs> ended up being BS. Now, it's hard to see how that translated into returns, in fact, but what it probably did do is we had, had a lot of discussion at that time about uh, dividend stocks. We'd had a move into some of the unfranked stocks. Mm. And I guess we would have seen a lot further action uh, if uh, one uh, S. Morris, sorry, um, B. Shorten. B. B. Shorten had yeah. been elected. Yeah. So it stopped that. It didn't necessarily take it back the other way, mm. but uh, that's been a very important factor, probably also for the housing market, I guess, than anything else, yeah, Peter, because uh, there were going to be a lot of changes I, there. I can think of a fourth and a fifth ah, factor. Okay, well, yeah. we, we started with two. We're up to four or five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill was three. Uh, I think the fourth factor was the Royal Commission tent turned out not to be as scary mm-hmm. as we thought. So that, that helped the market a bit. And then the fifth one was APRA backed off on its tough lending restrictions on banks and banks started to lend after the, uh, the election. Oh, I'll have a sixth one in. Our, our Reserve Bank has cut three times since June. Well, we've actually summed up why the market's done so well. Well, it is. And, and that's helped a lot of our so-called defensive sectors. And you look at stocks like... Uh, your Transurbans, your Sydney Airport, your Medibank, uh, mm. stocks like ASX, uh, Woolworths, some of the more defensive stocks, the property trusts, they've all had a they had a great year because mm. interest rates got cut three times. And at the start of the year, Peter, I, I wasn't expecting any interest rate cuts in Australia. No. So, uh, 
as I think most analysts probably um, weren't on that ship either. Mm. So um, it's been, as, as of, often happens in markets, things come out of left field that surprise us. Mm. But uh, 2019, summing it all up, will go down as a great year for stocks. Okay, so that was the year in, in total. Before I look at what I think is going to happen in 2020 and then ask you where we should invest, um, what were the sectors that did really well in 2019? Yeah, so the standout sector was uh, healthcare, yeah. uh, and it has now been the best sector over the last one, two, three, five, and ten years. Is that because we're a very healthy or unhealthy country? Well, look, I, well, it has obviously has some great tailwinds. The three tailwinds, they're all a little different. One is, of course, is the uh, ageing demographic. Yeah. Two is the increasing demand for health services. That's not just a function of age. We all expect yeah. more things. Well, young people, you know? young people are getting um, um, plastic surgery yeah. and stuff like that, though they don't need it, yeah. but they're doing it. All sorts of things that they <laughs> arguably don't need. And thirdly, governments, you know, through things like NDIS and all the other sort of just generally increase supportive in services, supportive services yeah. keep on spending more money in health. So those, they're fantastic tailwinds that are great for uh, healthcare globally. Yeah. I think in the Australian situation, we also benefit from global leaders. I mean, CSL is the global leader in blood plasma products. Cochlear mm. is the global leader uh, in... Um, uh, the ear, hearing, ear implants, yeah. Hearing yeah. issues. Yeah, ResMed is, is, is the global leader in sleep apnea, right? I mean, we have we have three or four world-class companies uh, that are at the top of their field, and that's one of the reasons that uh, healthcare has done so well in Australia as a sector. Now, I, I, should, I should say, ladies and gentlemen, if anyone has been the greatest supporter of CSL, it is my colleague, Paul Ricard, and I don't find it very easy praising Paul because we are close friends and everyone knows what Groucho Marx said about uh, best friends. I think he said, uh, no one is completely unhappy at the failure of a close friend, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is pretty It's been a truth in that one, isn't it? <laughs> now, this year, CSL got as low as $180. And I remember saying to Paul at the time, gee, it looks like a buying opportunity at 180 because before then it was probably what Paul... Um, it goes high as it's been 200 and something. 285 yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, and it'll, it'll, yeah. We're looking at 300. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so I, I thought when I got from 180 to 220, yeah. I thought that was a great selling opportunity. But no, Paul Rickard stuck with it. And what is it now, Paul? It's, over, it's in the 280s or very low 280s. Yeah. So, so it's been a really good stock. And, yeah. and some people hate buying expensive stocks, but it's a classic example. It's not the price of the stock that counts, but the quality of the company. Yeah. And look, it's matched by people like companies like ResMed, Cochlear to a less extent. So mm. CSL's return is, is, a, is close on sorry, not CSL, the healthcare sector's return is almost 50%. Yeah. That's not bad. So that's been number one. Mm. Number two has been information technology. Now, that's our favourite whack stocks. Yeah. The, and the, people want to understand what wax stands for. It's like fang in America. Yeah, we had to come up with an wax. acronym because, uh, like most industries, we like an acronym to make life more confusing. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, that makes us sound cool, it doesn't makes it? makes us sound like we're wax really stocks. cool. Wax stocks. So it's... Uh, it's uh, Wisetech, uh, Afterpay, Appen, Altium, and Zero. Zero. Yep. 
Zero, and Zero is probably the best established of those companies. Yes, it's kind of like a real business in the sense that it sells stuff. But it does, I don't think it makes a profit. It's still actually it's still, expanding at yeah. a rate of knots. That's the reason. So, reasons, so they've been uh, they've been really star performers. There've been a couple of duds in the IT sector. So mm. offsetting you've had for the performance of Link, which was one of the bigger IT well in that mm. sector. So it hasn't all been one way. But it, but it was Brexited, wasn't it? It was Brexited in part, but that's uh, there's been some other issues right. there too. So. Look, that's uh, that's the second sector. Mm. The other sort of what I'd describe as is the exceptional performance. Something I I got wrong was consumer staples. Now yeah. that's, uh, that's that's like Woolies, that's Woolies, Coles, Coca Cola. Um, it's got some growth stocks like A2 Milk in there, yeah. which it's benefited from, and also Bellamy's was there and yeah. also got taken over. So there's been some helpers, but I I would say that the performance of Woolworths and Coles. Uh, has been, I think, quite extraordinary. And yeah. they're very expensive stocks now. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, I think the table you showed me today, uh, Woolworths tended to be like a 4% dividend company. It's down to about 28 And that's because people have bought it so much, it's driven the share price up, and so it's dividend as a percentage has shrunk. It's now back to almost its all-time high. Mm. Just And you remember the, 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 the damage Woolworths suffered with oh, Masters yeah. Yeah. and a whole I think lot I of remember stuff. that damage, yeah. That went on, so uh, you know that, that's that's been the surprising one. Um, the other, there's one other on. The, so on the negative side, the two the sectors that haven't done it as well is yeah. obviously financials. Yeah. Now it's still up fifteen percent, Pete. Yeah. Now, so that's not still too bad. bad. But that's a long way from the twenty six percent of the market. Yeah. So there's a and left healthcare was even yeah. bigger than 26. and healthcare was up forty eight percent. So, so that, that and that's largely a function of. Uh, the Westpac, uh, National Australia Bank, and yeah. ANZ, yeah. Uh, and Maker Queensland. And mm. So CBA's done all right, but uh, the other companies have, have gone. Okay. Out. And what about the other sector? The other one has been utilities, which uh, I think is it's a small sector, but it's really. You know, what are the hot. key companies, Paul? In, in well, things like AGL, Spark Infrastructure, you know, wholesale energy price, electricity mm. prices have been coming down. Yeah. So the, Government the, the, pressure. Government pressure. Yeah. AGL misplayed its hand, I think, a couple of years ago yeah. with Liddell, totally mm. got the government offside, and they're paying the price, I think, in terms of what's being done to okay. put pressure on that sector. Okay, so that's the past. Mm. If I'm looking, and this is what I'm saying to our financial planning clients when they ask me, I said, look, I think Trump is going to get a trade deal. If it's not before December 15, which is the, the date when he's supposed to raise tariffs if he hasn't got a trade deal, it looks like he's going to extend that because he's happy with the progress on trade deals. A trade deal is going to help the stock market going forward. We probably won't see a, a massive rise, but there'll be confirmation that the optimism that has driven markets both in Australia and the US and worldwide has been justified. So I think that our stock market and, and the US stock market will at least go up creep up higher to March or April. And then around May, historically, US stock market, there's a, been a tendency for selling May and go away. And particularly within a, an election year, with all the problems that Donald Trump could be facing with impeachment talk and all that sort of stuff, the market could sort of, well, smarties might try and take their profit off the table and wait for the election result. What do you think about that sort of big picture? Look, I'm pretty on board with that strategy, Pete. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the biggest driver in our market is the US. Uh, Trump wants to win the 2020 election. He, yep. he doesn't want to go in with a, with a market under pressure. He wants to have great domestic economy, low mm. unemployment, strong stock market, and talk about, you know, what, how many jobs he's created, not, mm. not having to deal with pressures in markets. So mm. he's got every incentive to try to keep the market moving up. Mm. Uh, 
And I think also directionally, you're right. I mean, the trend is your friend. I mean, we are in the 11th or 12th year of a bull market. This yeah. is a bull market. Yeah. And what, what markets or teachers is you've got to play the trend. Yeah. Very, very few people pick tops and very few people pick bottoms, mm. right? And so well, all the data says the market's going up. So I see no reason why you just don't stay long. Yeah. Doesn't mean you have to add to it. No. Even if you're a bit scared, and there are going to be people saying this is an all-time high and looking at the multiples and who knows what what other mm. sort of black swan event is out there, take a bit off the table. Mm. But the, the, the most important piece of data you have is we're in an uptrend mm. and you just don't expect to pick the top uh, and you've got to stay with the trend. And, right? and, and the great bull market killer are rising interest rates and interest rates aren't rising. So when they start to rise... Peace with still stuck in a little bit um, suspicious yeah. about this bull market. Now, so so big picture view, yeah. I think you stay long. Yeah. I must say, or you put more money into it, Pete, because mm. I'm a bit like you. I, I sort of feel well, we've had a great run, mm. and you know. But so big picture, staying long. Yeah. Uh, now, now, can I ask you this thing? Yep. You talked about two sectors that didn't yep. do well. I often like the contrarian play. Mm-hmm. That which was kicked in the guts one year, next year may will you know be flying high. Financials. Do you think they'll have a better year compared to other? I think they can. Yeah. I, I, I mean, what you're talking about, Peter, has a little bit more science to it. It's called, uh, it's called mean reversion, mm-hmm. yeah. which, I, which I write about a lot. I but uh, it's a it, mean it, term for normal it isn't people. A, but what it mean, what it does, is, is, is things go back to the norm. So yeah. if you have a whole lot of exceptional returns, what tends to happen over time is things average out back out yeah. a little bit. So in other words, the best performing sector one year is often. The amongst the worst right. next year. Mm. Not always the case. And we've seen healthcare, healthcare the yeah. last three years has been the best performing. So, yeah. But, you know, if you have a great year or a great couple of years, at some stage you get the reversion back. And a good example on that is, say, for example, uh, Telstra and, mm. and, tele- and communication services, which mm. has been one of the – I didn't talk about that as being a great performer in 2019. Yeah. That's because Telstra has just gone up. Yeah. If it said it was too cheap, got it. So – I'd like to say financials are ready to revert back. Mm. They've had they've been underperformers now for four years, mm. so I think that's a brave call. I'm I'm not going short. I'm just not quite in the mm. camp to want to get too long. But I do like I do like okay. Westpac. So hang on to your banks. Mm. The question is whether I put more in. Yeah, I'm mm. not quite there. But if you, if you weren't in the stock but market ever, would I, you put some? I in your absolutely portfolio? have some banks, right? Okay. I mean, it's, uh, don't get believe dividend. The dividends are yep. pretty good, aren't they? Paul? Yep, dividends are pretty good. Six mm-hmm. six and a half percent. That's without franking on Westpac. Yeah. Um, if it yep. goes to eight, that's what's well, closer to nine and a half with Ooh-ha. on a on a pre tax basis. So uh, now that gives you a little bit of protection. You yeah. can with you know I'm not you don't get carried away with this stuff mm. because you know buying stock just for yield can be tricky, a, tricky, right? But uh, you know, it does give you some protection on the All downside. Right. One right? last one, but they're but, winding us up. Yep. Utilities. They're winding us up. Yeah, they think they know more than us, our thought, production I team. I thought we were having a good run here. Yeah, so, we were. Uh, I'm, so I think it's so the, interesting. The one I'm going to go back for healthcare again for the yeah. fifth year. Now that's, CSL. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's it's due to go back to the mean, but I don't know. I, and my thinking there's a bit different, Peter. I, I'm, I'm looking at the major companies, the banks, the Woolworths, Telstra, mm. there's a lot of companies really struggling to show any growth. Mm. And I think market's putting now a huge premium on stocks that have top-line revenue growth, yep. as they do in the US. 
And because so many of our major companies are constrained with really limited top line and earnings growth, people are going to keep on paying a more of a premium. So I think some of those healthcare companies, there are others in the category comp- companies like Seek and RIA and a few others mm. and, and some companies in the IT space. I think they could get even more expensive. Yep. yep, so yep. I'm, I'm, that's why healthcare. Okay. But and utilities, I'm, Paul. That utilities, didn't do a- and I'm not going for utilities no. this year because I think the... Uh, I think that there's still too much pressure on the electricity price, and I think they're paying the price for getting the government and the consumers offside. offside. Okay. And I'm not yet going to sort of put a lot of money back okay. into utilities. Well, I'm going to do some homework to see whether I can actually get in, fall in love with utilities, um, only because well, some of them some of them would benefit from higher oil prices, mm-hmm. energy companies, and I think oil prices are going to rise. But I'm not completely convinced. I'm, I'm going to leave that one open, and I'll discuss it. Uh, next year, I quite like. I don't mind the energy companies mm. per se okay. because uh, I think OPEC's actually showed remarkable um, brilliance being able to, to manage yeah. production, mm. and the oil price ain't got below fifty dollars. No. To get through fifty dollars now would have yeah. it's a huge base. It's funny. It's like the, <laughs> the, the oil producers of the world are some of the, the crankiest countries in the world, and they're starting to actually act as a team, yeah. and it's actually r- r- raising the price, which is good for their I mean, their you know, America's not part of it, and Americans can produce more through shale oil, yeah. and they've cut down. But what, what OPEC has demonstrated, and it's got Russia and, and the non-OPEC companies, yeah, countries involved, is that yeah. just by, just as long as they act together, act really like a cartel, which is what they are, uh, yeah. they can actually have an enormous influence. Okay. And, and They've actually been very successful the last couple of years in doing that. Yeah, okay. And if people ask me what I thought the index would go up by next year, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a 7% gain, throw in the dividends. Yeah, so you might get a 10% gain overall being in the stock market. That does probably rest on Donald Trump winning the election. But I think even if the Democrats put up someone like Bloomberg, I think the market would cop him. As, well, a, as a potential person. You got a lot of bagging when you made the same sort of the call this year. I think you did say we'd get uh, tests got close to 7,000. We've got very close. Yeah. And Some of, people were critical of me, A lot of people bagged you, so, uh, you know, you got to take it I when... I haven't crowed about that yet. You have not <laughs> crowed about that yet, but, you, but in this business you do need to crow when That's you right. have a winner because you certainly get it when you're wrong. That's right, and you're a fellow dust <laughs> in the mix. All right, Paul, thanks very much. Great analysis. Let's hope we're right. Okay, that music. You might say that music tells tells me, Paul, it's time for a great ad. And if it's a, a great product to flog and a great ad, I reckon it's the, the most wonderful book I've read this year. Of course, I wrote it, Join the Rich Club. Now, I'm surprised you'd say that, Peter, but it's not unexpected since it's also on my score sheet here. Now, uh, do you know yeah. Do you know about Christmas orders? No, I don't. Ah. So uh, if, you, if you want to get... This delivered. See, you, you can go to a bookshop. I think Demix is going to Demix be stocking. is going to be stocking. Yeah, and Booktopia as well. But we sock it and we, we'll sign it. We'll, we'll sign it for Christmas as well. How's that? Throw it in. We have. Do we, and do we have a special price for Christmas? Yes, we do. The price is $19.96. Let's round it up how for the, $20. How well, the hell do they get $19.96? Oh, no, I don't know. Probably the tax office or something. Anyway, the bottom line is if, you, if, you, if you're prepared to invest $20 to get rich, which I think is a pretty good deal, you'll get a copy of um, Join Your Rich Club. I'll sign every one of them. But you have to get the orders in by this Friday, otherwise you're, uh, going, to yes. be, you're going to be signing and writing and yeah, that's right. posting and licking stamps, whatever else you do <laughs> in your spare time. Okay, you so, won't get Christmas. Yeah. Don't be a Scrooge, people. He needs Christmas off. This right? is the best. <laughs> this is the gift they'll keep on giving forever. 
Yeah, when you, when you get rich, people will look at you and say, it was that book that you gave me from Switzer that turned around my economic life forever and I'll never forget you nor Switzer. So, where do you get the book? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm killing the lily a little bit. Yep. But Paul, where, where can people where get, do you get this the book? book? You go to Switzer Store, that's one S, Switzer Store singular. Yeah. Should have been Switzer Stores. But yeah. www.switzerstore.com.au. Why, why do have we got oh, some no, interesting no. staff? We have to take up the next uh, editorial meeting. Yep. Okay. So, now our next guest, well, in actual fact, I wasn't here, I hate to admit, it was a pre record. And I just got lost in, you know, Christmas shopping and whatever. And I missed out on this wonderful um, character by the name of James Manning. James was the founder and the editor of Media Week. Uh, and we wanted to talk to him about um, the media business. And yeah, I, and yeah. it came from one extreme to the other, talking about the market to media, because mm. that has not been a, a, a great sector. No. And uh, it's tough out there yeah. in uh, in film and, and radio and uh, yep. the disruption just keeps on going. So uh, you're saying uh, he's the guy who knows what's happening up there in the, in the media landscape. Okay, so without any further ado, let's catch up with Paul Rickards, head-to-head with James Manning from Media Week. A lot of changes in media in uh, 2019, particularly the landscape in terms of the ownership. Can you just run through some of the big changes this year? Yeah, it was just really interesting. I guess the, the big thing affecting media companies was sort of adapting to the, the changing climate, and that means changing their business models. All sectors have really been affected now. Um, we've seen lots of upheaval in television by uh, the introduction of the streaming platforms, of course, which was started by Netflix, but everybody's jumped in now and has their own sort of big streaming platforms from you know the Australian startup Stan, which is part owned by Nine, or completely owned by Nine now, um, to the bigger players like Disney and Apple moving into the space as well. Um, radio for a long time has been sort of clear of the dis- digital disruption, if you like, but just in the last few months, they've started to suffer too. Um, we're not sure if that's going to be a long-term disruption or it's maybe just linked to the sort of ad market, which has been down very severely in the last, probably the last half of uh, calendar 2019. So all the big um, radio broadcasters are laying off staff, changing their business models, business models it's Nova. Um, Macquarie Media, which is now owned by Nine, um, ARN, which is part of HT&E, which has been selling off all their assets except their, their audio assets. That's all they have left now. And, of course, Southern Cross Osterio, which is a big player in regional media, of course, but it's uh, most of its revenues owned by its uh, radio in metro and regional markets. So looking ahead to 2020, with the disruption now both in the traditional, both... We saw it first of all in print. Now we say, you say in television, and then going into radio. What's the future for particularly, say, our free-to-air uh, TV companies? Um, well, I think they've just got to get used to sort of um, try, trying to do the same with a fair bit less. You know, just keep their schedules full of interesting shows, but um, doing it with what they can afford. With probably the best example of that is with James Warburton when he mm-hmm. moved in as a replacement for Tim Warner at seven, he realised their schedule was just not what it should be. Tim Warner was, you know, the back half of the year wasn't great, so Kerry Stokes wouldn't put up with that. He's given uh, James Warburton the mandate to do what he thinks is needed, but he hasn't really given him any extra money. So Warburton's had to carefully sort of go through the costs of the business. He's found savings, he's made those savings, and he's able to use that that. Uh, extra funds to put it into programming. He's also, of course, 
worked out a way to try and get Prime, which will sort of re-engineer the business and give Sevens advertisers a much bigger market through just going to one place instead of having to go to Prime and to Seven to buy a national audience. And do you think that's a sustainable sort of tack just to keep on cutting costs or do they have to do more in terms of the programming mix or what are the other opportunities in terms of their business model? You know, look, I, I think that I think that's pretty much it because we, we're just not sure how things are going to go in the future. You'd be very brave to forecast what the media market's going to look like in four or five years. The change possibly will be slow. We won't see anything too dramatic, I don't think, but there will be change. You know, like sports, sports are one of the only guaranteed big audiences now for mm. free-to-air television, uh, but those rights are so expensive. People keep predicting that those rights are going to drop but I think the demand for them will probably keep those um, sort of at, at nosebleed levels, if you like. And sticking with TV, it's been a year that uh, I think Seven's comprehensively trounced uh, Channel 9. Um, what, where, where does that sort of battle play out? Yeah, no, well, Nine really fought back this year, so it was, you know, pretty pretty even, if you like, and Nine, nine probably finished just a, a nose ahead. Oh, okay, I think right. next year, okay. Yeah, I think next, next year we're going to see... Um, Ratings are going to be less important. Um, there's, there's going to be new metrics for ratings. They're going to sort of count catch-up viewing. They're going to count people streaming on devices. They're going to add in the sort of views from um, the free-to-air streaming platforms like Nine Now, Seven Plus, and advertisers will go after just a, a they might want a million viewers, and it'll be just however they get them. They won't be looking for the one show that's going to deliver that audience. It'll be you know going across all the different assets on each of those different networks to see how they can gather that audience. And finally, I know the time is tight, just in terms of radio, you mentioned that um, the traditional radio market's also suffering. What's uh, How are the, the radio uh, broadcasters going to respond to the, I guess, the advent of podcasts and other way people are consuming their, their media? Yeah, the radio broadcasters have responded to podcasting by trying to get a stake in the game. So they've all become big podcasters themselves. So... Um, the FM broadcasters in particular, so Nova Entertainment has got a big partnership with Acast. Uh, Southern Cross Stereo has got a partnership with Podcast One. And um, ARN is you know, using the iHeartRadio brand to sort of expand podcasts in Australia. So they've all got a fair bit of skin in the game there. They're doing quite well, but as yet, podcasts are still a very young industry. There's not much revenue being earned. Advertisers are starting to warm to it. But um, we'll have to see where that goes. There's just so much out there in the uh, podcasting world. It's you know it can be confusing for for audiences to sort of go and navigate to find the content they want. That means it's confusing with advertisers to know what to invest in. So we'll have to see where that leads. The big change, as I mentioned earlier, has been the the ad market has been so soft in radio. That's really led to some significant staff cuts. Um, just uh, as we speak today, Nova Entertainment is the latest one to cut back a little bit there. They've uh, Earlier this week, they dropped some uh, on-air talent. Just today, we hear about 15 sort of um, fairly substantial executives departing the business. Well, that's not a, a bit of a gloomy way to end it, but if people want to learn more and get access to Media Week, where do they head? Yeah, look, just go to mediaweek.com.au. You can sign up. We have a free daily email there. And we've got a lot of features and um, other information online. Uh, James Manning, the editor of Media Week, thanks for joining us on Switzer. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Paul, interesting interview. I've got to say, you, you nearly did as well as I would have done if I was there, so I'm really proud of you. You've really come on. 
considering you, you, know, you, you were a great banker and stockbroker, but now look at this, you're a fantastic media performer. I'm proud of well, you. Well, look, I got something wrong there about seven or nine, Pete, but we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, now, we all uh, make mistakes. <laughs> but my question to you is, because, okay, we've heard about the media industry. Is there a media stock that you like? Yeah, I find that really difficult, Pete, because I, I don't know if I like any. Um, I guess if I look at the established media players, I think Nine, that's Nine Entertainment mm. Group, is probably the best position. In the free-to-air stuff. In the free-to-air stuff. And the diversified stuff. And the diversified stuff, and, and they can make the bigger sort of changes. But uh, I've looked at their numbers a few times, just cannot get excited. No. I don't like Seven West Media. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, Macquarie, of course, has been taken over. The, uh, the regional, there's a battle going on mm. with Prime. It just seems like it's yeah. a really tricky spot. Yeah. And I, it's sort of in my avoid list still. Yeah. I, I Paul, the interesting thing is, and I, I was talking to Michael uh, McCarthy and Julia Lee recently, and what we came up with was only two weeks ago on the, the Switzer Investing Show, which is on, on your our YouTube channel was Switzer Financial Group, mm. isn't it? Um, we came up with like O Media. So mm. that kind of media, everywhere you go, you see, ooh, media, those billboards, and they've become computerized and digitalized and all that sort of stuff. And the, and the week we talked about, they, I think it spiked about 18%. I reckon if over 2020 the Aussie economy gets better, then that kind of media company will probably do well. And I probably like um, a company like Seek or um, Domain, because yeah, Domain's a media company now. Yeah, I, I, like, I like Seek. Uh, uh, you know, mm. it's, I wouldn't say it's a media company, but it's, 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 done, it's done really well. There's a media angle to it. As is expansion. I'm a bit, I read good things about Domain, but I think the mm. rear group is still kills Domain, so yeah. I, I sort of go for the letter. Mm. I, I'm interested by one of the fund managers we know, like, uh, like Netflix, mm. that sort of has ups and downs. Yeah. And, uh, it came I up, think it's it, challenged now, Paul. It is challenged, arguably, with Disney, but mm. I know that uh, people like WCM, they're, they're still on their portfolio. Yeah. Right? Now, I will throw yeah. one thing here. I saw a review of what millennials wanted for Christmas, mm -hmm. and the two things they wanted most of all was an Apple iPad and a Netflix and, and a Netflix Haven't account. they all got Apple iPads well, and Netflix? Well, I don't know. They're updates. But uh, that, was, that was the millennials' uh, wish list. And, you know, they're big wishes. They're big wishes. So that's probably maybe an insight. Netflix and Apple iPads. Okay. Without well, I, th I think Netflix is one to look at mm. because, the, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's the global leader. Yeah. And uh, there are arguments about, you know, about what Disney and mm. others are going to do and how many streaming services can yeah. you have and uh, how expensive it is mm. going to be to keep on having this great production. Yeah. And, and thinking of my own viewing, yeah. I do go Netflix first. Yeah, when but I, look on, look but I find in these industries, like a lot of things, stick with the leaders. And, um, you know, I think that in, when yeah. the market's, you know, marking companies like Netflix down, mm. there may be an opportunity there. Okay, let's go to our next guest. And really, it's, it's kind of media-related. Dimmix, in the old days before, you know, TVs and radio, people read books for entertainment. How's it going? Uh, we'll find out in a minute when we interview Steve Cox from Dimmix. Steve, thanks for joining us on The Switzer Show. It's a great pleasure. Nice to be here. Thank okay, you. Okay, this is a great time for bookshops, isn't it? Uh, yeah. How does Dimmix do over this period of time? Uh, Christmas is uh, is what bookshops are all about. So over 30% of our sales will come through between November and December alone. So obviously it's a really, really key and important period. And uh, and that's what customers come to. The book is uh, one of the best gifts you can possibly have. And at Dimmix now... You get books, but you also get a lot of general merchandise, cards, wrap, the whole gift solution. So mm. it's a really important time. What of year. percentage of your total sales 
is over the, the Christmas two months? Uh, well, for close to 30% over November and December, 30% thereabouts. Mm. So how's the whole, um, I mean, when, when people like Amazon came on and started yeah. selling books, everyone said that was going to be the death of the book. Yeah, yeah. 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 we were just talking about that. Yeah. So how, how's that played out and what, what, Nick, what are consumers now doing? Yeah, Senator Nick Sherry infamously said about seven years ago that within five years, um, actually it might have been eight years ago, there'd be no more bookshops for that very, very reason. Mm-hmm. So, look, you know, obviously uh, Amazon started in the book game and so if any industry has been disrupted for a long period of time, it's the book industry. But what we are really happy to say is that bookstores are very much here to stay and whilst people are finding and discovering book content through all sorts of different channels today, the physical bookstore with you know great recommendations from the well-read team that are in those stores, like the Dimmick stores that are locally owned and operated, mm-hmm. have got a great place in the market and continue to do well. So, mm-hmm. and that's not just in the Australian market, but in the UK with the um, businesses like Waterstones, Chapters Indigo in Canada, mm-hmm. um, Barnes and Noble's going through its own challenges, but have changed in the US. But the independent bookstores as well. So, if you looked at where Dimmick's was before the, that horrible word Amazon came into the life of mm-hmm. bookstores, yeah. Uh, the the size of the business, mm. I guess if you population growth in there as well. Yeah, are, are, you, are you bigger or smaller as a as a footprint? As a footprint, smaller. Mm. So as far as the physical number of stores across Australia, smaller number, but in total turnover, pretty similar. So mm. you know, as you say, over the years the in revenues continued to grow. Mm. Um, the the big stores have continued to perform very very well, and big stores like the George Street store or two thirty four Collins Street in Melbourne performing exceptionally well over that period of time. So whilst there's been some of the smaller stores have have fallen away, mm. the core of the really great stores within our portfolio have continued to grow over that period of time. Complemented by online as well. Let's put Paul on the spot before I go to you. Yeah. Paul, you know when you get, you're desperate to find a, a Christmas I, I go present. to Dimmick's and George Street. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so, yeah. so, but it, do you find like the desperate males who are hopeless at shopping anyway to make sure they've got something, they go looking for a book that shows that they're meaningful kind of We're people? We're counting on you both between now and Christmas Day. I'm sure yeah. you'll be there probably in about the 22nd or the 21st yeah, My hope and expectation <laughs> is you haven't got around to it yet. So no, you'll come into our Dimmick's store and, you'll, and like everybody, You'll go, well, I'll be able to find something for everyone here. My entire gift solution will be solved. I'll get the book, I'll get the gift, I'll get the stationery, I'll put it all together. And, and, you know, it's a personal gift. And that's one of the things people love about books. At the end of the day, if you can get the right book for the right individual, you Mm. give them something that not only has meaning to them then, but can actually change their lives over time, which is what we love about the book industry. And and what's happening now, I mean, the the personal feel of a book versus the the online reader. And are online readers actually sort of a bit stagnant now? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. So e-book sales globally are in decline. So their share of market has declined over the last number of years. Physical books are relatively stable, broadly speaking, a little bit up, a little bit down, depending upon the market you're in. Audio books growing quite aggressively, but off a very low base. So the physical book... Not only in, in lots of ways. Not only is it a, just still a great artifact mm-hmm. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but there's some real advantages in it. And for comprehension, they've done some yep. studies on... We also run the Dimmick's Children's Charity. So we give um, brand-new books of choice to kids across Australia who wouldn't otherwise own their own books. And you know, having a physical book has a, a cognitive impact on children and on people that read that it's different to the, what the experience is in a digital device as well. So the physical book is absolutely here. Um, it's, it's not a high growth sector, but it's holding its own well and truly and digital copies and digital books are in decline. So I, I guess you must survive in the other months because those two months we talked about is fantastic with 30%, but people buying books are either because they're addicted yeah. or birthdays and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, the books are a really solid 
you know, month on month, it's a pretty consistent market that's mm. out there. Of course, titles make a big, big difference, mm. but people continue to buy. There are some really big readers. So in the Australian market, there's a few key core demographics, visible achievers, socially awares, and young optimists. Those three consumer mm. groups consume close to 60% of all books in the Australian mm. marketplace. Yeah. So people are... You know, it's a form of entertainment, it's a form of learning. You know, there's a, a lot that goes in in the book industry. So whilst, yes, Christmas is a really important period of time, mm. throughout the whole year there is a very good and consistent demand for good quality books and yeah. things that Dimmick sell. Uh, I must, I, I've asked this question before, yeah. but a lot of people would be interested. Like, who owns Dimmix? Is, is it a... We're now it's not a public company. No. So why don't you just tell us so the history and who owns it now? Privately held. So yeah. it started back in 1879 in Market Street here in Sydney, moved mm -hmm. over to the Dimmix building, which is there on George Street mm -hmm. today in, in the 1930 or thereabouts. Mm -hmm. So business is over 140 years old. Family owned, started by William Dimmick back in 1879. Um, today it's um, owned by a gentleman called John Forsyth. So it's um, privately held. He does have a connection through the family mm -hmm. going back. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a truly iconic Australian brand, mm. um, one that has got a tremendous amount of trust and tremendous recall. There's no other brand in the Australian mm. space with books than, uh, than the Dimmicks brand. And was there a period where, where the ownership and the management was worried about the threat of Amazon? Like when people like Nick Sherry said, you know, yeah. eight, eight you didn't know, but it, it was a big threat because Amazon had a big... Um, of course. A, ...a big impact when it first came along. Yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, we weren't worried about the long-term position. You know, there was enough international experience to say that great bookstores will continue to do well. Mm. We believed mm. and continue to believe that our structure, and particularly being a franchise structure with locally owned and operated stores, actually positions us uniquely well to deliver for the customer. At the end of the day, if our stores are very close to their customers and connecting with the customers and delivering what they're after, then we've got a really good opportunity to thrive. Yeah, and would you say that Borders failed not because it was a, a poor bookstore but mm. for other reasons? I would say so. I mean, at the end of the day, it was a private equity play, you know, mm. as you would know. Mm. Most businesses fail because of cash flow. Mm. And uh, fundamentally, they had a large amount of debt and needed to get a certain price at a particular period of time. And, yeah. you know, and if you're trying to run a business like that with a large um, debt position, that makes it challenging. So, mm. yeah, I think... You know, they had some big real estate in the Australian market. Absolutely, um, rentals with landlords is a is a challenge in the retail industry yeah. as a whole. Mm. But no, it wasn't because of the book itself. It was because of their business model and their their financial position at that time. Well, I suppose leading into Christmas and getting back onto books. I mean, yeah. just what are the hot sort of? I say it's the hot books, but the hot categories. I mean, genres and categories change. I guess, yeah, the genres what, and categories change. Where, where's where's sort of the the the, the you know where, where's the demand? What at the did moment? you buy yeah, for Christmas, yeah, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't quite asked that question, but it's getting close. Uh, look, if you want to answer, yeah, no, that's okay. Look, at the end of the day, at Christmas time, nonfiction always grows. So nonfiction leaps up to close to fifty percent of total turnover. So you're looking at and sport. that's because people want stuff that for. People, other people are going to find it interesting or put it in the mantle? Yeah, or look, I think it's the nature of the books. Yeah. So, you know, you've got cookbooks that, yeah. that significantly outperform at Christmas time. And cricket books would not yeah, be Yeah, cricket, sports bios, yeah. biographies, yeah. Australian history, military history, all of those titles outperform mm -hmm. or those areas outperform at that time because they are real gift-giving areas. You know, mm -hmm. you think about, what am I going to get Dad for Christmas? Yeah. Well, he loves cooking or he loves his cricket or mm -hmm. he loves... And so you're automatically drawn to those areas. So yeah. those all rise. The children's category gets some good growth, and right now yeah. is going through the roof because of Bluey, which is the yeah, you know, the Kelpie the ABC, that, uh, the ABC. Yeah. You know. well, the ABC's I mean, most watched program. Uh, but, 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 but is, is he politically incorrect, Bluey? 
Bluey, yeah. I don't know. No, that's just, there are some aspects apparently yeah. which have, have been labelled completely incorrect, but I like the idea Look, of that. As far as I'm concerned, I love Bluey. Yeah, it's the number one uh, selling title in the Australian market at this moment in time. So uh, Bluey is hot and everyone loves Bluey. So we can't get enough of Bluey and Bluey's soft plush toys and all the other things that come along with Bluey. So, look, the children's category is important. And, of course, all your great fiction continues to do well. And, the, you know, the John Grishams and the Lee Childs and the, those those brands, if you like, because they are really brands, um, continue to perform. People come into a store and go, oh, Dad likes Lee Child, I'll grab another one of those. Or Mum likes this, mm. uh, I'll grab another one, Fiona McIntosh. And, but we were talking about before, Australian fiction and Australian writing in general is continuing to grow and outperform, which I think is a fantastic thing. Well, the funny thing, thing I, I heard my, my mate and pain the neck friend, um, Peter Simon's advertising his new book, and now he's looking at James Cook. Like, he, he goes yeah. looking for a... a <laughs> and he did it on 2GB. He's always bagging 2GB. He's advertising the, 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 the book James Cook, but he's, he's done very well. Feet, yeah. We, we well. love Peter Fitz. He was in store signing yeah. some books just a couple of weeks ago for us. So, uh, no, look, I mean, Peter's... Uh, it continually brings out and very... And new Tom Keneally out. Is that right? Or is, he, is, that is there a new Tom Keneally? Uh, no, 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 no. He might be preempting it. Yeah, he might be preempting it. might be preempting it. Well, his daughter's writing now as well. Margaret's writing as well. Yeah. So, no, Peter Fitz, he continues to deliver and, and look people love his books they yeah. absolutely love it and again it's a yeah, yeah, like Peter. Just love it's a go books. to love his books and he's a great guy as well so uh, I don't believe that ah, come on. he might be a friend of mine but he's not a great Adam guy Adam Spencer <laughs> those guys you know they continue to bring out some yeah, Dr Carl was in store today yeah. I mean there's some fantastic Australian writers yeah. um, right across Christ. and we're very happy to have them as part of a, uh, you know part of our portfolio if you like when they come in and sell their books in our stores excellent sir thank you well Paul i got to say um if Demix was listed, I think I would have a crack at it. I think it's a company that's actually survived the whole challenge from Amazon and digital disruption. And I think the existing businesses sound pretty good. Yeah, they've done really well, Peter. And I mean, again, of course, it is a franchise business. And I guess a lot of what you see in the Demix store depends on the quality of the franchisee and mm. just what sort of how good they are at operating their, their stores. Mm. But when I go to the one in Sydney, I know Melbourne's yeah. like, just like it, you know. This time of year, it's just so busy, yeah. and I'm just joining the throws. <laughs> and I, I know I'll be there in the next week or so, yeah. Peter, guaranteed. In fact, I might even go with you, Paul. <laughs> but let's go and buy a copy of Join the Rich Club while yeah. we're here. <laughs> we'll walk around and show it to people. Okay, that's our show for the day. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Let's hope our investment ideas work. <laughs>